You're listening to Popaganda, the feminism and pop culture podcast. Today, we're exploring who writes history. So a few weeks ago, I was at an elementary school, and the school hallways were covered with upbeat posters and bright decorations. I spotted a colorful timeline posted to the wall. It's one of those simple, mass-produced paper things you can buy at any teaching store. So I looked closer. This was a timeline of American history, and it started in 1492 with the arrival of Christopher Columbus. There are a lot of problems with this narrative. There were millions and millions of people living on the land that's now the United States with complex, diverse societies that covered the North American continent long before any Europeans arrived. But still the way we're taught U.S. history often begins with the arrival of a European colonist. Why do elementary school timelines still frame Columbus as a hero who set our country in motion and not, say, an imperialist with a poor understanding of geography who spearheaded the slave trade? Historian Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz takes a hard look at the mythical origin stories of the United States in her excellent book, An Indigenous People's History of the United States. She was generous enough to take time to talk with me about our history and her work. Such a fundamental part of this book is about asking us to rethink the origin story that we think we know about the United States of America. And you point out that the whole idea that the United States um, is founded on sort of these these proud settlers pushing west and there being a back and forth between battles with indigenous people and there being a give and take there is really a myth. And what America is founded on is a word that we don't like to say very much, which is genocide. Can you talk about sort of how we how, how you think we should reshape the way that we see how America was was first founded and first made? Well, I think, you know, I think most um, fairly, uh, you know, progressive, educated um, people, especially a younger generation in the United States, understand of what colonialism, that Africa was colonized by the British and the French and the Dutch, and that Indonesia was colonized and decolonized, India was colonized by... And that, that, that North America was colonized by the British. But what, what they don't make the jump to, it's almost like it, it, it's never even posed as a possibility, is that the United States itself formed, simply split from the, from the British Empire and, from, and didn't miss a beat in pursuing then the building of a new empire. They even called it. Uh, Thomas Jefferson called it an empire for liberty. So they had no, um, made no secrets about this. They didn't try to camouflage what they were doing and who they meant freedom for. They meant freedom, you know, a, a white republic. And then you get to the kind of, of colonialism the British set up and the Americans continued, and that's settler colonialism, where they want to replace the existing people appropriate their farms, the native people's farms, and uh, simply take them and replace, get rid of them, fight them, kill them, burn their villages, uh, kill the women and children, kill everyone, or drive them out to the periphery. And this is a hundred-year process of taking the continent, one one area after another, and it's. That is the narrative that people 
don't understand and they if they do you know learn about and they have much in the last 40 years or so learned about the atrocities and the uh the genocide they think that's just some kind of evil behavior that should be um punished reparations you know this this sort of thing but not understanding or not grasping that it's still going on you know it's not just history there's still these peoples with you know land bases they fought for and won some that they're still barely hanging on as peoples fighting to remain and exist as peoples and not understanding that it's a whole systematic thing and we're all implicated in it we're all complicit in it as we're a part of it and of course it's economic form is capitalism or else it wasn't just done for adventure you know it was it built the wealth of the wealthiest nation that had ever existed on earth so Roxanne you grew up in rural Oklahoma um do you remember learning about United United States history as a kid and learning the origin story of the United States then do you remember what stories you heard as a kid and what was the first time when you started to think I'm not getting the whole picture, or the picture isn't right at all. Well, it's a good question. I learned um, probably, you know, it was a different time. It was before the civil rights, well, before and and at the beginning of the civil rights movement, which really, you know, changed a lot because I I got involved. But in younger years, I had no... no conception of anything beyond what we were told, you know, the same story and probably a little bit more fundamentalist since we were, you know, the whole community was also Baptist, Southern Baptist, so we had the evangelical part of it too, the mission, literally the mission to take the land and overcome barbarism and and, uh, savagery and tame it and, um, you know, that settlers were just the light of the earth. Now, we were um, landless farmers, you know, tenant farmers, sharecroppers, and migrant workers, so left out of the American dream. But that didn't mean it didn't exist, that my dad hated the rich, you know, the banks and the rich, the sort of simplistic uh, uh, kind of, you know, the Federal Reserve and the the Yankee power back east, um, but I grew up with that consciousness of being working class and poor um, and being somewhat proud of it, that we were better than the rich. So I think the first time I had, none of this made me question the um, greatness of, of the founding of the United States. That little core thing was never shaken by any of this, hating the rich or anything. It's just like things had gone wrong, you know. And there's some people who can be blamed for that. So it wasn't really until my first year of college at um, University of Oklahoma that I met um, my boyfriend was an engineering student, and his best friend was happened to be a Palestinian. So Saeed had a huge impact on explaining U.S. history to me. It, I couldn't I couldn't absorb it all but 
he explained that, you know, the Indians all around us, you know, he was very, he identified with the Indians. He says they're like the Palestinians. And and the history is 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 like Israel, you know, your your covenant constitution. And he, even though he was an engineering student, he was raised in a, you know, he was only eight years from being, um, uh, his family being um, chased out of their home and never to return, you know, in uh, Joppa. So I heard all these stories and I began thinking, you know, it put a, a thought process in my mind that I've always been very grateful for because I can't think of any other way I would have gotten that so young, you know. That's why I emphasize this this core origin story that is so um is so uh impenetrable that you can learn all kinds of things and still not disturb it. So in this book, I really wanted to find how can I burst that bubble, you know, because I know I've done it for myself, but it was over such a long period of time. So you point out in the book a couple concrete ways that this origin story is really embedded into the culture and the physical concrete culture of our society. And one of those ways is firsting and lasting is what it's called by the historian Gene O'Brien names it that Firsting and lasting is the sort of the practice of plaques, local histories, monuments, signage to create a narrative that the first settlement in that space or to commemorate the first thing in that space is work of white people, work of white settlers that came in and built something there as if it's as if there weren't people there before. And then they commemorate the last when it comes to, to Native things, they commemorate the last of the Indian tribes. Uh, you say the last of the Mohicans, Ishi, the last Indian. And right. that's that's a really interesting thing to that I think sort of wakes people up to mm-hmm. think like, oh, that I have seen those plaques. I have seen those memorials. You know, they kind of pop out where you've just sort of taken them for granted before, you know, or the names are unfamiliar, so you ignore it. And you, who is this person that's being commemorated? And you kind of look into it and... Wonderful with you know with the internet you can find things pretty quickly on your on your iPhone uh, you know just to say right there oh my God you just mentioned trying to sort of burst people's idea of what the origin story of the United States is so I don't know if you've had this experience but I'm curious is how do you talk about the history of the United States to kids to people who are maybe learning their origin story the country's origin story for the first time. Have you had to try and talk to kids about this? And when they're very first learning about the history of the United States, how do you tell that history? Well, I've had some pretty good feedback because, <clears throat> you know, I don't, I don't just take, you know, little random kids and start telling them <laughs> that there's no Santa Claus or Easter Bunny. <laughs> you know, that, you know, that has to be a process for them. But uh, teachers have really appreciated this book. You know, what it seems like to me, and I have this experience, and lots of times there are quite a few young people, really young people bring their classes to my talk, you know, their their uh, middle school classes. And I just say the same thing it was, uh, that I say because I'm not, you know, I'm not an elementary school teacher, so I, I'm not going to pretend that I know how to talk uh, in in that language or in, 
within that pedagogy. But it seems like everyone already knows this. You know, not not all the details or anything. Because it's like a snap and he says, aha, that's how it is. And it doesn't seem to have this effect. Oh my God, what have I lost now? My whole, you know, my whole dream. Because people are pretty confused about why this country is so messed up. You know, why the book I'm writing now is on the Second Amendment and gun violence, you know. Why are all these strange things about the United States so different from any other place, you know, that, um, and and so it seems to be a kind of relief um, followed by, you know, people get back to me and they say, you know, that there's a lot of, it raises all these questions and what, what does that mean? I, I'm not supposed to like George Washington anymore. And well, my answer would be, you know, forget about George Washington. We have a, you know, we have a nation to build. <laughs> we have one, one to dismantle and one to build. That's a lot of work, and we don't need George. You know, we don't need, we don't need all of that. Uh, that, you know, um, what has supported a ruling class in this country that's the most vicious in human history. But then I have a, you know, I have a responsibility not just to observe, but to do something about it. That was historian Roxanne Dunbar-Ortiz. Her book, An Indigenous People's History of the United States, should be required reading for every American.